Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Everybody tuning in, I'm here with uh, with somebody super, super cool person, friend of mine. Uh, on top of that, um, very sharp person in my perspective. Every time I have a discussion with her, we go and dig down the rabbit hole. She's uh, one of the leading world experts in immersive technologies, techno-futurist, digital hippie, uh, author of uh, the book Augmented Augmenting Alice, and uh, on top of that, she's a TED speaker, TED speaker, not TEDx, yep. but TED speaker, and you should go it's check out TED. her TED. her TED speech at some point as well. So, Galit, how are you doing today? Uh, honestly, not great seeing what's happening in the world. Uh, I think we can't uh, disconnect from it, but... Um, you know, seeing that we're talking about disruption today, um, I think we're going through the the great disruption, indeed. And um, my my words, my question for for um, all the tech disruptors is like, how do you like them apples? Because I've been um, not liking the word disruption for a while now. I even added. Um, the line Galit Ariel might bitch slap anyone using the term disruptive innovation into my uh, biography in 2017. And that's not because I don't believe in change or I don't believe the disruption comes as an outcome of change, but I believe that words create cultures. And I think we're creating with this specific word uh, a culture that indeed just wants to disrupt and ignores uh, existing ecosystems, existing systems, and just wants to break things up. And in my mind, it's a little bit childish as a core approach, as the flag you, you run with. Um, I find it, well, disruptive. And, and I don't think a lot of people using that word really understand what it deeply means. Uh, so I've I'm kind of I've been calling to like pull back on this word and wording for for a while. So I'm not happy about what's going on, but I think it's um, a point in time that we can really figure out what does disruption mean and do we actually want it at a large scale? Because I think the answer for a lot of people is not really. Right, and I, I love it. You just to just jump on the topic from the get go. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you know me. Don't I get do. boring. You said it. The least boring person I know. But uh, that being said, actually, before before we get deep in diving oh, into the disruptive disruption, the... you totally disrupted my my flow. But it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm feeling disrupted. What uh, what I'm actually curious to hear more is about your story like you know how did you end up in toronto playing with immersive technologies and being a digital hippie disrupting the disruption um well my journey actually starts um i was born and raised in israel uh, i left when i was 20 because i wanted to study industrial design designing physical spaces um i figured italy is a great place to do it they know what they're doing 
in it. So I just moved to Italy, um, started my design studies there, then moved to London, uh, to Central St. Martins, graduated there, moved back to Italy, worked as a designer. And that was like the late, late 90s, beginning of 2000s, where as a designer, um, you weren't pigeonholed. So I was designing products and spaces and small electronics, but also the packaging and communication. Like you would just get the brief to do everything at the time, uh, which really taught me about understanding systems beyond the one thing. Um, moved to uh, the Netherlands, worked in, in retail, and then um, as a brand uh, art director and strategist, uh, then started working with experiential companies, uh, creating uh, experiences. At the same time, I was also doing my master's in uh, design innovation and design management and innovation and uh, teaching at the Amsterdam Fashion Institute branding and management. Um, and my master's is what brought me full circle to actually what I was researching most in my BA design studies, uh, which is human computer interaction. And having the, the scope of being able to understand physical spaces, user experiences and brands and technology, I think really gave me a, an advantage because I'm not coming to look at the technological future just from a technology perspective. But I understand user needs. I understand the limitations of physical space that we are in, as far as I know. Um, so it gives me a, an advantage. And uh, I published a book called Augmenting Alice, uh, The Future of Identity, Reality, and Experience, talking about the different facets and elements that um, influence augmented reality uh, or immersive technology, which I believe is the next big thing for technology, as big, if not bigger than the World Wide Web, because we're talking about a future where the whole world will be connected, the World Wide Web, right? We're not there yet, but we're getting very, very close and we're seeing more applications. Um, and I'm very excited about this future, but as I said, I'm, I'm a critical optimist, so, I trust that things will be okay and I think they will evolve, but I'm also critical about um, designing into futures that are only meant to be great, where nothing breaks and nothing is abused and nothing is, is just used wrong, right? So I'm very, very critical in how I see the future. I really believe in speculative design and speculative futures and kind of like taking a little bit more of time to think about technologies and processes you're implementing because once you press the button, it's very hard to unpress it. No, I, I love I love the this introduction and, and before we get into the the topic of today's uh, today's you know productivity chat, I'm curious to and I think it's gonna be interesting also for the people listening for me you're one of these people that seems so aligned with your work you know you, you you're passionate about what you do and somehow the things that you do are representing your strengths your passions your experiences some kind of like the package of all those things together and you just go and and do cool stuff and i think many people out there are trying to to, to kind of figure out how do i find my purpose how do i find the my passion and i'm curious how did you end up 
you know, into a conclusion, what it is that makes me, you know, fulfilled in a way. Um, it took me a long time. I think I had a better idea in my early 20s when I was actually doing my 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 BA. I really knew what I wanted to do and I was really pointing towards it. And, and you know, you're young and idealistic. And then, you know, I was, you know, a foreigner in Europe. I needed to find a job to be able to stay. And I found a job that was good. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't in that direction. And I did start to steer in my mind for, for a lot of years, steered away from my true passion. I was still passionate about it. I was still reading about it and writing about it and trying to implement it into my work, but it wasn't my core stream, you know, it wasn't my core stream of revenue. And and so it took me, I, I call it like the lost found 30s. You know, I, I really felt like I lost my way in the 30s. Uh, I had great jobs, great titles, made money, everything was great, but I wasn't happy and it's and it's a choice you know following your passion is is very romantic but you know it requires a lot of sacrifice it requires um you know personal sacrifice uh more frustration because there's a difference between doing your job and doing a job you love and maybe failing in it or not succeeding in it um so there's a big emotional part to like following your passion which a lot of people underestimate you know, you see a lot of entrepreneurs like, yeah, we're going to do it. And and then, you know, the reality of following your passion is is sometimes very grinding and very hard. And, and you know, you might get there, but it will take you two years of, of pain and, and, you know, not living <laughs> the life, you know. Uh, so it takes a lot of grit and a lot of will. And I think it hit me um, at some point. Um that I was, I was still doing well. I was still doing good stuff, but in a certain point, I was willing to pay the price for it. I said, "Okay, this is it." I looked back at everything I've done, and I actually said, "You know what? I haven't lost these years. It actually gave me so many qualities and capabilities to move forward in a better way. Let's learn from what I've done. Let's see what I can take with me. What can I transfer?" And because I've done that. I think I managed to to elevate quicker um, because I wasn't, again, for me, it it never feels like I really lost my way. Like at the time I felt like it. And now when I look back, it looks so logical to me. But I think my advice is like, it's okay, forgive yourself if you're not in a place that you want to be, but know that in order to be there, uh, there's a price to pay and you have to be very honest with yourself. How much are you willing to pay, you know, uh, in order to get what, where you want? And still it won't be guaranteed. So again, like it's, I'm passionate, I'm super passionate, but I'm not romantic. I'm passionate about technology, but I'm not romantic. I love it, but I'm not in love with me. I don't let it blind me from from the reality, right? Just because I love what I do, it doesn't mean that, that I'm, you know, I wear these rosy glasses, like, it's going to be awesome. Like, I, I know it can be awesome, but I'm also, you have to deal with reality of like, the fact that it's not just up to you and your awesome aspirations about an awesome future. There's reality there. And that's why I also hate exponential growth. <laughs> we have some, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about for sure today. today. Well, 
Well, I actually completely agree with you. And for me, it's been uh, such an interesting uh, exploration joining this whole startup world and entrepreneurship. And I guess uh, being younger, also being more like uh, positively romantic about the whole thing. And, you know, you just got to cut the rope and you're going to, you know, and everything is going to happen. But the, the reality is completely different. Like we talk about only one side of it. Obviously, there's the good side of it. You, you follow your passion. You're excited about it. You're moving forward. You're your own boss. You know, you go to cool conferences and pitch your product, whatever. This is there. But we don't talk about the other side, you know, the dark side of um, following your passion. The the lonely nights, the, the, the days that nothing is working and you, you feel like uh, you want to just... Uh, you know quit and you, you you have no money like you know the whole the whole thing uh, the whole jungle of being a being an entrepreneur or being a, somebody who follows your passion and and we need to be more we need to be better into talking about these things because yeah. there was a survey it was a survey not a survey like statistics in in the area of silicon valley i'm going to i'm not sure about the exact numbers but i think young people entrepreneurs high school students around the uh this uh, the bay area are four four times more likely to 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 commit a suicide due to starting a startup setting the mm. wrong expectations the pressure the social pressure the pressure of the uh you know investors and so on and they don't know how to handle it because again they're young and it's yeah. it's it's just terrible but I think, you know, a big part of it, again, like I, I have to go back to words make culture. So, you know, there's so much myth around uh, entrepreneurship and, and success in entrepreneurship. And it's not about embracing failure because embracing failure also became a narrative like, yeah, you have to pay, fail to succeed. Right. It's like, oh, it's the path forward is failing. No, sometimes you actually just fail, you know, and and it's it's almost an unforgiving um in my mind, it's an unforgiving masculine. I'm not talking about men, but masculine, very aggressive culture. Even when you look at the wording, it's like hustle, crush it, you know. And I understand that it gives energy and motivation in hard times. But I think it kind of like diverted a culture of like success, 100% success or failure and nothing in between. And the success is only measured in in certain way, like did you exit? Um, how much money you make? How much you know? You know, very. I don't want to say superficial, but very very narrow parameters of economic success. And nobody's measuring you know successful um, uh, startups and applications that actually created impact in people's lives that actually change paradigms. That is not considered success, right? And it's really sad because. You know, a lot of people made great products that I know that are of value that have been dismissed because the return of investment of, of human impact was just not considered. But the return of investment of dollar um, had been considered uh, successful, so they didn't get funded. And and I really hope we're, we're changing that 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 narrative now, really, not just in wording, not just I'm human centric. I'm like, OK, show me. <laughs> put the money where your mouth is. Um, so I hope we're changing it because I hope we're all looking around wherever we are in the world right now and understand that, you know, it is time to stop with disruptive innovation where there's no more space to, to breaking apart systems. It's all broken apart. 
It's all done. And it's time to really look at long-term return of investment, things that first create uh, value and impact for societies and for individual real ones, not ones that we tell people it's valuable for them. So they buy our product or stay on our service or platform, but real one. I think people are looking for real value. I think people are becoming more critical. I think, um, I, I think I'm seeing governments investing finally more in, in social impact and innovation versus innovation. We just want AI in our territory. We don't know why we don't know what we're going to do with it, but it sounds like if you're not with it, you're dead. Um, which is complete nonsense, of course. Um, and, and I think I really hope that with, with everything that's happening right now, um, we will rise and, and refocus and be more, more human to ourselves, more forgiving to ourselves, think less of productivity as, as something that is value for money. Like you have to do X amount of hours, you know, because it's worth money, but you have to produce value, you know, long-term, you have to produce real impact. And this is your value, not the hours you put in, but the impact that you manage to, to generate. Uh, I hope we're, we're going to shift, uh, we'll be more forgiven, see people for humans and not human resource, um, you know, because human resources uh, get burnt out and get uh, worked out. And I think it's it's time to really lean back a little bit, have a better view on what's coming, decide where we want to go, decide consciously, not just say, we can do this, but do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? I, we can do anything. Humans are amazing. We, we make up shit and then we build it. Like we watch sci-fi and we're like, wow, that's really cool concept. Can we like do laser beams too? Can we, you know, and we do it. We're amazing. We can do anything. We can relax. Like I guarantee anything we dream of, we can make. But we don't stop ourselves to ask, why the hell are we doing it? And I'm talking about organizations and individuals. I think we get caught up with what we can do. Like I know a lot of people that want to be entrepreneurs and they kind of quit their job and think they can be entrepreneurs, but they really haven't gone through the emotional process and mental process of what it actually means. And the same with products. Companies like we can put this product out and there's never a thought about what it actually means once they do. There's, you know, hope that answers the question <laughs> yeah i know that it what what was coming to mind is when i called you and i i invited you to to join my coffee and productivity show live your first answer was like i don't want to talk about productivity like you know yeah. and, and then we had this discussion about you know how we understand what productivity means and i think a lot of people when they hear the word they they only think about results, getting things done, you know, like hustle, hustle, hustle. And we are shifting. I'm hoping to believe we're shifting into more mindful productivity realm where the hustle is balanced with the other side of the things, with the more softer side of things. And, and if we start from a personal level, you know, productivity is just not just about achieving, achieving, achieving. It's achieving in a in a sustainable way for you and for the people around you. Yeah. It's it's this finding your own balance in between 
Of course, you want to have aspirations. Of course, you want to yeah. have your goals and find your balance with that. But and you need, yeah, and you need to make money. Like that's, you know, it's not a contradiction. You know, no, it's not no. this or that. That's what people don't understand. It's not like you're either like crushing it, productive, or you're a hippie. That's why I call myself a digital hippie because I believe you can marry, you know progress and technology but also human values and i don't think they contradict each other i actually believe that when you veer too much to 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 this productivity you know the pendulum will always swing back and i think where it's swinging back hard yeah and you know like when you say that um, i reflected to that uh, the previous time but the there was a there was a podcast i listened between Tim Ferriss and Brene Brown, and they mm. had a discussion about those things, uh, and they were reflecting on this question. I'm actually curious. There, there were a couple of questions. The first one was, how can you be high achieving without being self abusive? And, and then the second one was something in the lines of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maybe, you know, not say it correctly, but it was something in the lines of, how can you be present and fulfilled without becoming complacent yeah do you want to answer yeah i do actually i'm curious to hear what's your thoughts on that um well for me like i told you i had i had a pivoting point where you know i'm i'm a high performance person you know as as you know like i'm busy always with several several streams and and several projects and and some are for profit and some are not for profit and advocacy and you know i i do a lot of things and and i have the weird hobby uh you, you know about the weird hobby session i have the six months so i'm not allowed to have hobbies because every hobby i take i kind of like go go in and go crazy. So, so when I took up diving, I actually quit my job and decided to become a pro diver, uh, went, became a dive master. And I was like doing the internship. And then I was like, what are you doing? Like, I really go deep into things. Uh, when I was doing ceramics, uh, I ended up having 2000 ceramic plates because I decided to make the perfect one. So my husband has now the <laughs> a rule in our house that if I pick up a hobby, I'm only allowed to have it for six months. So it allows me, it allows me, it's true. Like I took up stand-up comedy, you know, for six months, ice cream making for six months. Um, but it allows me to do something really interesting. And I think this is very much about knowing thyself. So at this certain point where I changed my, my course, I also had to change what I know about myself and understand what drives me. So I had to accept that I'm going to be always active and ambitious, but... I, I also tend to derail and get very passionate about things. So things that are not in my long-term plan, in my, my career map of where I want to be in five years, I can still do them because it's hard for me not to do them, but I need to contain them. So it's a lot about self-knowledge, like understanding what works for you and what drives you and not going against it. I'm not about, it's not about training yourself to wake up at five o'clock in the morning. It doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work for me. Like I wake up at seven, but I'm not, my brain is not operational till like 10. I need this time to kind of season. So you have to know your own process. You have to know your own drives and make sure you know them because it's so easy to have external drives coming and swoop you. You know, I, 
you know, I get job offers still, you know, I'm saying still, but, you know, I know what's right and what's wrong. And I've said more no's than yes, because I know that some of the yeses I have said before have derailed me into places that were beneficial, but I don't want to be there again. So it's really about mapping your future and understanding what works for you specifically for you. So I know I need, I always need like an advocacy. I need to do something that is like on an activist level. I cannot not do it. I say my mind and I'm political about it. And I'm like, and and I accept this. And like, that means that some people won't follow me or won't like me, but I'm like, that's the price I, I'm willing to pay because it's more important to me than that. Um, you know, it's just about knowing yourself. I know my process. So my process is very weird. I need like, seasoning time just like waking up in the morning in in a project i need like thinking time thinking 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 and then it explodes like it's like a volcano so even when i work with clients i make sure that like i'm going to give them results when i know right that i think my process is going to be at that point of result i don't try to push myself if i can I don't try to purge myself into their system. I'm saying like within the six months, you'll get it in six months. The first touch point is going to be this. And I try to build it for when my value is the highest. And I explain to them my process. And sometimes they say no and they want to do it their way. And that's fine. But I explain to them, this is how I work. This is the biggest value I can bring you. And here's the proof that I've brought it before. If you're willing to work like this, everybody wins. Right. So it's not about fighting. It's not about making. It's not about crushing or hacking, but it's about really understanding, having an in-depth understanding about what your process is like, what works for you, what ticks you, what distracts you. And it's it's not easy. It's not easy because we like we romanticize about ourselves, too. Right. Most of the time we either romanticize or, or put ourselves down. So it's it's about pulling yourself out, looking at your life. Asking yourself, how do you make decisions? What worked for you? What doesn't work for you? And kind of building a better path. What what part does it play? Like we, we were discussing before uh, before we jump onto the life, uh, the fact that you're not trying to, like you were even joking about it. I'm not trying to prove true to anything to anybody, right? How, how big of a part does that play to accept yourself and to stop trying to prove anything to anybody. It's it's really hard. I mean, I'm a futurist, so people are expecting proof all the time. Like you said that two years ago. I'm like, yeah, and but this is what I actually said, and I was not wrong. So um, it's very hard because it's it's about external confirmation. And of course, again, we live in a social world. You can't just live on your own. You know, this is not about being. I don't know, narcissistic or psychopath and saying like, I don't care. This is, this is what I'm like. If you, this is not about that, but this is about understanding yourself in order to be operative and, and um, collaborative. If you don't know how you work, if you don't know what ticks you, you can't see what's going to happen to you and you can't see how you react to people. And then you become like the slave of the situation. This is where you lose control right? Because you're reactive and you're not proactive, right? And I remember one of the best things that somebody ever told me was there's three kind of businesses in the world. There's my business, 
there's your business and there's his business. So my business is my actions and reactions, right? Your business is whatever somebody around you does something and his business is life, God, karma, you know. The only thing you can control is your business, my business. That is my business. It's the only thing I can truly affect. The further you go, the less you can affect it. But most people are not in their own business. They're they look at how other people treat them. They look at what the world gave them. They're busy elsewhere. And when you're elsewhere, you cannot really make a change, right? When you're in your base, this is where you can make a change. You can choose how to react and how to engage. You can choose how to accept or, or not accept, you know, the facts and the reality. And this is really the, the we, we really are responsible for our own actions and output, 100%. Other people, it goes like, you know, 90, 80, 70, 60, and the world itself, well, that much. So I'm like, focus on yourself and what you can do. See any react, any, I, I don't look at negative things happening to me as happening to me or against me. They're happening and I'm in them, right? And I try to really keep calm and say like, this, this has happened to me. This is shitty. Can I do something about it? You know, yes, no. Like, if there's a wall, you don't necessarily just want to run towards it and try to smack it with your head. You might try to, like, dig underneath or go around or just wait, wait. You know, there are so many reactions and ways to deal with things. But if you don't know yourself, your strengths and your ambition, if you work out of, you know, external influence, you are less likely to be successful in a way that is makes sense to you right? They're successful. Like you can make a lot of money. You can be really successful and you can go home and feel like shit every day and be lonely and be sad and be, you know, or, you know, maybe this is what you want. Like if, if these two align, great, you know, your mom is happy, <laughs> you know, your girlfriend is happy, you're happy, you know, that's also fine. You know, not everything has to have like internal mission. Like, so I'm like that. Not everyone is, and it's all fine. Right. Do you think we should uh, redefine what success means? Totally. Total. Yes. <laughs> See one word. <laughs> Amazing. No, but um, what what I'm actually curious is like because I mean obviously one way to look at that is also first of all on the societal level, right? Like, what does success mean, and how do we define it, and what do we value and uh, reward in terms of what success means but i also on the personal level like asking ourselves the question what is success for me yeah like we kind of ex somehow accept what society teaches our success is as the that's it you know like we don't question it and i think the the change starts to happen when you ask yourself what, what is what is a successful life it if, yeah. if your successful life doesn't include the element of happiness and joy and you know then, then why do you achieve all these things? Yeah. And, and, and also, and also I, you know, I think for, for a lot of years, I was kind of like, um, I felt resentment to success, truly. Like, I felt like if I'm a truly passionate person, I shouldn't seek, you know, even things like this. I shouldn't seek external approval. I should just do my thing. And And it also hit me that around the same time, that that I was playing push and pull with success because the truth is I do want to be successful but my success for me is being able to create impact and change right and for that 
you know, that means that, you know, the, the speaking circuit is important and publishing things is important in, in the right um, or in like in, in, in a big distribution. And it's not because I want to be famous is because it's important to me. And you've seen me before talks like I get the worst, like, like anxiety. And every time, like, why am I doing it? I never tell me never to do it again. It's really hard for me. I'm great on stage, but it's really hard for me before it's energy draining. It's, it's also, it's not as glamorous as people think it's really hard, but I do it because I believe that if my voice is out, you know, I might be able to deliver the right message. Right. So again, for a lot of people, a lot of people told me for a while, like, Oh, you're so successful. I'm like, no, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I have some public image, but this is not success. This is a tool for me to succeed in what I really want to do, which is to create change. And people are like, are you crazy? But you're successful. But I'm like, and I think for a lot of people, they get caught up in the middle, right? They get caught up, like they do something and then they get successful either financially, they get promotions, and then they get stuck in this phase of success. But it doesn't sit with their inner goal, their true passion and goal. And a lot of the time you have to unravel it and say like, okay, all this is great. I don't have to chuck it in order to get there. But what is it that I really want? Like, just remember where you were set out to get. It's really interesting what you're saying. You know, even I wouldn't, uh, you know, imagine knowing you uh, now for, for a couple of years, but um, seeing you on stage, you, you're one of the most engaging speakers I've, I've seen, like, like being honest, like you just just go there you're so present i don't feel the sense of nervousness that you're speaking about you know the the, the feeling that you're having before you go on the stage right um and by the way those of you who are listening to the podcast or watching us live make sure to go check out the the TED talk of Gallet. it's uh, it's really really inspiring and and you'll see what i'm talking about but but i think i actually want to talk a little bit about that because people look at you people look at me and other people who are more public and you know going on stages traveling and yeah. and they kind of feel like you know everything comes easy and like we don't have bad days and and we have no negative emotion like it's a uh, it's very interesting so i actually want to dig a little bit into the what the truth is you know what uh, you know do you have bad days? <laughs> Not since I moved to Canada, because I love it, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but of course, I have days of, of self-doubt and, and um, you know, and I don't want to say depression, but like feeling low, like feeling like, again, being there and things are not working out the way I planned and, you know, recalibrating and recalibrating and grit again and again and again um it's 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 really hard you know it's really hard uh, i do a lot of uh projects that are you know about social impact and these are not funded easily let me tell you and just before covid i had like one of the bigger projects funded and i was like yes finally two years i was looking for funds and then covid came and i got the phone call of like yes yeah, sorry we're focusing on on this now and i'm like this is about the future of humanity, but okay. Um, but it's, it's really hard. It's like, you know, the truth is, uh, there are always, I think more failures than success. Um, I, I hardly know 
anyone, any successful person that just had success, 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 or at least not in where I define success, because buying your way into things is not in my mind success, but, um, but it's hard. And, and it's like these moments, you have to hang on to these moments of, of, of achievement and remind yourself all the time, like, yes. And, and also we're comparative beings. This is one of our cognitive biases, right? We are built to keep chasing the prey because otherwise we'll start, right? So we are, you know, when we achieve success, it's, it's short lived because our brains are wired to make us be hungry or aspire uh, to, to achieving things again. You know, that's why, like, you see a lot of high, high achievers being like, why aren't they happy? They're living the life. But A, we're biologically prone to, to keep aspiring for more. This is how humanity actually evolved, because we keep wanting more, for better and worse. Um, but you have to remind yourself where you're at. So, you know, I'm not there yet is okay, you know. It's, it's even okay to be consistent, consi consistently in the state of I'm not there yet, as long as you look where you are, are, where you are, are. So I'm like, I'm not there yet, but I've done a lot. Like, I'm not there yet, but so every time I have like this, this down spiraling thought, I, I, I stop it. Like, I buffer it with, with a bit of reality because it's very easy to see where you're not, right? You're, you're, you're more not in places than you are in places, right? Um, do, so do you, you have to. Sorry. sorry do, do you sometimes, uh, when you're feeling like this, to get a sense of perspective, do you go and check out your, I don't know, your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Instagram, and kind of get to yourself reminded about all the cool things you actually have been doing, or like, well, what is your way to, uh, sort of like to, to ground yourself and get this sense of sense of perspective of not social media, not trust social me, media. because every time you find your good things about yourself you will find 10 great things and better things that other people are doing. It's built for us to use our comparison biases, right? This is what social media is built for, comparison biases. We need comparison biases uh, to function in society. And again, this is another cognitive um, uh, feature humanity has. We, we compare ourselves to others all the time because it helps us uh, avoid mistakes. So we can see others learn from their mistakes, but we also see side look sideways and and aspire to be in places or do things that other people do. It's in, in rooted in positive um, evolutionary societal um, uh, processes. But you know, technology as technology is, it's an amplifying lens and it amplifies it. So all of a sudden, I don't just see my circuit of friends. I see everyone on the planet and how well they're doing or how badly they're doing. And it's just like a harsh place to be if you're like looking for comfort. Uh, because again, we, we tend to go more to, to the negative biases a lot of the times. And no, I, I call my friends. I have like a, a small group of, of very trusted friends and, and mentors and mentor friends and friends that are mentors and vice versa. I don't differentiate. Uh, these are the people I call. These are like the sound, the people that I know will be able to to give me a perspective or even just by talking to them, I automatically get into this mode of like, you know, these are no bullshit people. So I can't go there and go, I'm so mad, I'm not doing. Like I have to talk to them, you know, I can call them and say like, look, I feel really shit because this is not happening. But I immediately go into a mode where, you know, it's it's not, they don't empower 
uh, negativity in me. These are people that empower like positive, proactive things in me. And I'm very blessed and very lucky to have uh, met them during the year and appreciate their value. And I hope I do the same for them. But it is ultimately humans, like people that know you, people that can support you, this like mindshare groups that you build, these friendships that you build that keep you going. It's very hard to do it alone. And I, I remember now, like a couple of years ago, we were in Copenhagen. Uh, you've been organizing the Woodstock uh, uh, was festival. <laughs> yes, it was, it was a lot the of fun. Woodstock. In, in the mini Woodstock in Copenhagen. And uh, one of the main topics we were discussing was, you know, like using tech for good. And, you know, I, I've been traveling the last two, three years, just like you, quite a bit, meeting a lot of young people specifically from the age of, let's say, 16 to, to 23, four years old specifically, which they come to me and, and you look at them from outside and it's like, you know, it's all good. They study in good schools. They have boyfriend, girlfriend. They, you know, they're healthy like this. They look good. Like, it's all good. But when you talk to them a little more, they're like, they feel like they're not good enough. They, and, and then you start speaking to them and it's it's been massive. I don't know if you've been having conversations with people in this age, but it's been massive for me, the number of, the percentage of people that go and look some some social media star, influencer, whatever, and they're like, I don't feel good enough because this um, Michael guy from this social media account, uh, he's my age and he has this and this and this and, and I don't feel I'm good enough. And it's it's a huge it's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's part of the narrative of these kids. Only like the influencers, you know, only being successful and only living a certain lifestyle. And you know, we 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 see that we've seen it with with mass media a lot, like building the myth of the desirable beings, right? Um, even the ones that are about vulnerability, a lot of the time it's orchestrated. Um, you know, that's a media game because we need like icons and idols to cling to. And it's very hard. Like I find it really hard for, for young generation. Uh, I grew up in, in pre-social media era and it was hard then, but again, it was hard on a smaller scale. And now, as I said, like we're, we're trapped in these like mirrors and windows into other people's lives. And it's so hard to look away and it's so hard to keep it into perspective, especially um, if you hadn't had enough life experience, right, to understand where it it, it is, right? Um, again, uh, I, I I see it, I see it a lot, but I again I it's it's hard for me because it, it breaks my heart because this is not where I wanted technology to be because you know the only thing I can say at this moment uh, for people that are feeling like that is to tr truly disconnect from technology, from these social media platforms, to look at, at, at a platform and say, is it giving me more joy? Like the, to Mary Kondo, <laughs> their, their tech, is it bringing me more joy or not? Honestly, honestly, you know, and, and, you know, to find ways to be more physically connected to people because we need that. We are biological beings. Again, I love technology, but as long as we are physiological, biological beings in the real world, the lack of contact, one-on-one -on -one contact, even this is this is great because this is live, but we are starting to, to see like mass 
mood swings because we are not touching, we're not in proximity to people enough. We are biologically tens of thousands and, and millions of years of biologically being um, prone to seek real social connections. Um, so the thing I have to say is like, it's very hard in these days, but like be with people. This is really the solution. Be with people, uh, seek for, for people that will support you, seek for positive voices. Um, it's, it's not fake it till you make it, but it is true that, that there's, there's all the spectrum and there's the Jordan Petersons of this world, sorry to say. And he speaks very persuasively, but his message ultimately is is negative. You know, the way he talks about, you know, it's negative. It's it's very convincing. It's again like crush it, like women, feminists, they don't know, you know, and, and he's very intelligent, so it's very hard to argue against uh these voices that are are I think fundamentally damaging because they're not wrong. Not everything they say is wrong. There's truth in them, but they are not the truth. Not everything that is true is the truth. So there are a lot of true things that people are saying, for example, that that um, the merit system, for example, is, is a great solution. True, but the truth is it doesn't work. The truth is it's it's built by, by a very specific elitist group that builds something that looks like equality, but it actually negates people of color, people of minorities and different educational backgrounds of actually participating in society. So sometimes you need to do things that look, you know, like affirmative action doesn't look like it makes sense, right? Because why would we prefer someone just because of the color of their skin? Isn't it like counterproductive? True, but that would have been counterproductive in society where people actually had the opportunity to begin with. So again, you have to differentiate between things that are true but make you feel like shit and find your truth that is more holistic. Look sideways. If something makes you feel like crap, you know, fundamentally, this is a bad way of living. Find solutions. Find other ways. There's always another way. There's always another voice and a better one. When we're speaking that about that was my political part, I think. <laughs> I told you I'm going to get political. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so uh, one thing I'm actually curious when you speak about voices, who are some of the? Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know Jordan Peterson. For some reason, I, I I could never connect with that guy. You know, I I'm a very curious person, but I could never connect to, to him and his message. I know a lot of people do, um, but who are some of the people that you know, positive, inspiring, constructive people that you personally enjoy following in terms of you know their message their philosophy who are some of your you know those people that you follow you name some barack obama yeah I'm, i said it <laughs> political um i i had a big discussions about barack obama and i think um i i i really love the way he converses i i don't like everything he says i wish he actually spoke up more and were more kind of like less proper, uh, but he did bring for a while in the United States uh, a real debate, a real discussion, right? Um, the people I admire are people that really uh, evoke dialogue. You know, Stephen Fry is one of them. Barack Obama is one of them. Um, 
that they are listening. You feel like they are giving a dialogue. They're giving their opinion and you're giving space for your thoughts and your aspirations. It's not necessarily just the people that say the right thing or the power speeches. Um, these people, I, I kind of like steer away from because it always feels like they're. It's about their opinion, but it's not about shared knowledge, right? Um, so I would say them and any science fiction, good science fiction author, uh, William Gibson, uh, Philip K. Dick, Isaac Asimov. I know they're science fiction authors, but they created worlds that looked into darker areas of humanity and looked into hopeful and speculative areas of humanity. Um, I'm, I'm a big geek, as you know. Um, so, so, uh, Spock, the, Spock, obviously, um, Mr. Spock, my, my beloved, and to quote him, surely the better good of the many is preferable, uh, to the good of the few. So Mr. Spock, I'm with you. Um, so I, I have kind of like obscure figures. Some of them are real and some of them are not. Um, yeah. You know, as we're going closer to, you know, to do, to the end of, uh, of this episode, actually, one thing I'm actually curious is, do you have any, any, any habits, any, any interesting slash quirky habits that, you know, things that you do on a daily basis to keep your, your sparkle and your creativity, uh, it's sort of like, you know, sharpening the soul or like whatever, you know, like you. What are some of your quirky habits? You really want to know? Yeah. Well, first of all, I have my ritual. Like I have my morning ritual. Like I need my coffee. It's like a day, like I need it. And it sounds really stupid, but like I don't touch anything until I touch coffee. I've learned from my mistakes. <laughs> I like, if, if there's no coffee, there's no, you know, no honey, like nothing, nothing. I don't care how urgent it is. I need my coffee. Um, again, like it depends on the period I'm at. Uh, I always, like I said, I always have a hobby. I need a hobby that isn't directly, um, connected to my, um, work, to my profession. So currently I'm learning languages. This is my hobby. Um, uh, so I make sure that every day for half an hour, I like tune out like midday, actually, just before lunch, I have half an hour of, Uh, I choose one of the four languages I'm learning at the moment because I told you I am a little bit crazy about it. So it's either Portuguese, Japanese, French, or Klingon, uh, which I'm learning at the moment. Uh, what I tried, I've put it as an Instagram question, like, what should I learn? And then people, instead of answering, they said, like, oh, what about German? What about Russian? I'm like, okay, I'm stopping this shit show. I'm going to pick all of them, but I'm not picking Russian and German and as well because I knew if I, I keep engaging, I will. Um, so I, I always have a hobby, like I always have something that, that, that in the weekend or during the week, I can do a little bit every day and, and keep me discon disconnect me for a little bit from what I'm doing. because my brain is always going. Um, and also music is a big part of it. So I have my coffee and then normally not every day, but normally I put like one song on and I start the day doing like a dance, like silly dance to release my body and mind. Like this is the most exercise I do anyways, but yeah, coffee and music at large. And then we weird hobby. 
this is yeah. what Lear learning Klingon. What, what, what's what's weird about it, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I, I... <laughs> it, it's actually a word. It's only because people heard me speak Hebrew and and they assumed I speak Klingon. So <laughs> like, might as well pronounce <laughs> you know right. Yeah, but it's actually interesting. You you are learning four languages at the same time. I, I haven't heard about such a such an approach before. People struggle with one new language, you know. Oh, I struggle with all four. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like Portuguese actually is going well because I know Italian, so it it's very similar. Um, but yeah, I'm I, I'm not aiming to like know them. You know, in like in three months, I'm going to learn all of them perfectly. I'm aiming to kind of like, you know unwire some neurons in my brain and learn something new that I don't have to, right? So doing something you don't have to do every day is very, very liberating. Like coffee, I still have to do, but learning something or, or picking up a new hobby is something that I love doing because it's, I don't have to, there's no pressure there. There's no failure there because there's no pressure. And it gives you a space of that you can only succeed, right? You only you can only progress, right? Doesn't matter how much. And that's that's something that keeps my energy, my batteries on on positive. Is that true? Sort of like is that your like a place also for you when let's say you're under some stress or pressure and just like your escape place? Like this is my passion, hobby thing. So when I'm feeling under, you know, overwhelmed, yeah. stress too much into my head, I can just tune into my Klingon classes and yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I actually think it's great because um, a lot of times, uh, myself included, as entrepreneurs, we forget about leisure know, time and free time because you have to crush it all the time, right? <laughs> crush it. Yeah, in the moment that you're like, okay, I need to take a break, it's like, uh, okay, it's 9 p.m., what do I do now, right? Like, yeah. that's so why I make sure I do it halfway through. Like I do it really like midday, like one one ish, and I and it's holy space for me. Like no calls. This is my lunch. This is something I learned from living in Italy. Long lunch breaks, and and I know it sounds really weird, but like long lunch breaks is where a lot of things happen. Like smoking breaks, right? A lot of the conversation, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the space you create for yourself around things that don't seem linearly productive because you can't say like, when I do a long lunch, I will for sure come up with this. But if you don't give yourself that space, you're again, like you're draining your battery. Like nobody, you know, even a, a, an athlete, you know, needs to eat a lot, needs to rest a lot in order to, to when they go on the court to be more effective. You know, basketball basketball players are, are not more effective for playing basketball on on the course for 24 hours. They'll get exhausted. They'll collapse. You can't do it. It's it's not meant to happen like that. And actually, if we learn something is is that a lot of the, the mental space is needed. Uh, when we look at professional Olympic athletes, they have a lot of, of visioning practices and a lot of psychological practices they have to go through. Uh, because envisioning and making the space to understand and watch yourself and reflect on yourself is sometimes more important than just being in the grind and like exercising for it or practicing it. So we have to be to give ourselves mental space or we'll actually we're counterproductive.
Yeah, that's that's amazing, Khaled, and it's been such an amazing pleasure having you here. We're getting uh, the least, uh, what was it, the, the least boring uh, person in, at least from my experience. But uh, before we wrap this up, uh, where could uh, people find you, follow you, read your books, uh, and so on and so forth? So you can find Augmenting Alice, the Future of Identity, Reality, and Experience on all the Amazons in the world and most of the bookstore, Barnes & Noble, you can find it online or just go to the website uh, augmentingalice.com and it has links there uh, to different platforms. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Galit Ariel. But on Instagram, I'm at the AR girl. I have my Ed Galit Ariel account, but it's really boring. It's not my stuff there. It's mostly my dog, really not, not interesting. Uh, or on LinkedIn, just uh, look for Galit Ariel. I think I'm like the only one. Um, just reach out. I'm always happy to talk to other humans because I like humans, uh, as you know. And I, and I like talking, so perfect. And then uh, as you like talking, what would be your final message, you know, people going through this interesting corona times right now what would be your final message uh, to wrap up this uh, today's episode to everybody listening yeah so we can't control what's happening in the world and as we see it's becoming it was never the world was never linear but it's it's evident more and more every day uh you can't control what's happening in the world you should think about it but don't be concerned about it you can only control your actions try to make small actions every day that advance you uh let go a little bit of like crushing it like the long-term girl goals keep them in your mind but know that there's a lot of disruption at the moment and you can't disrupt disruption the whole notion of disruption is flawed and it's not great but you can construct yourself slowly it's less sexy it's it's but this is the truth like start building the foundations uh for what's next in small steps, like you don't have to achieve it right now. Everybody are confused. It's difficult times, but start building. Keep building and you will build something for sure. Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performers and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyanko.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.